Well, Lisa and I had dinner uh, Friday night with <coughs> uh, some old friends of hers from Seattle, and we were dropping them off at their hotel, and this, out of the blue, they were, we start talking about names for some reason and remembering names, and, and they said to me, and, and I get it because I'm looking out on a sea of humanity right now, and they said, man, I bet, it's, I bet it's hard for you to remember everybody's name. And I said, it's really not. I said, it's impossible. Because <laughs> I got... I'm, I'm not good at remembering names. Truly, I'm, I'm not good at that. With one weird, odd exception. <clears throat> when I was 11 or 12 years old, my dad's dad, my grandpa, grandfather, um, in northern Mississippi, grew up in the sticks. We spent hours driving those red clay roads with him. Well, when we're 11 or 12, he, he tells my brother and I, he says, you guys have a cousin out here. And I didn't know if it was like an older cousin, same age cousin, whatever whose name is Cynthia Anthe Rosewood, cut down the careless Sarah Artie Missy Julie. Now, I can't even remember a name like Fred. And, and then that's still in my head, y'all. It's, it, it's still there, you know. It just can't, come, it stays in my mind. Who knows what they're thinking when they give this girl a name like that. They're clearly packing more into her name that I can only imagine she could live up to. There's another challenge with names, and this one, this one hits close to home. I want you to take a look at, at this as it regards names with me. You ready for me to conquer Ninjago? Oh, I'll be waiting. Dad. Sorry? What was that last thing you said? What? That last part, I didn't catch it. Well, I, I, I didn't say anything. What do you mean? I didn't. Well, I, I said I'll be waiting, and then I stopped talking. Dad. Le Lloyd. That's right. Your son, and it's Lloyd. No. L L O Y D. I named you. You ruined my life. That's not true. I haven't even been a part of your life. How could I ruin it? I wasn't even there. Oh my gosh, Le Lloyd. Right. I, I got a guy who, who's, I, and I, I was telling someone the other day. That, or as this, seeing this, I said, you know, this, there's a guy that calls me Lloyd every time I see him, and I couldn't remember who it is. And then a guy after the service came up, it's Dale Kaminsky. It's this guy I met in Phoenix on a golf trip. And he, the whole four days, Lloyd, Lloyd, you know, the whole time. Oh, my word. You'll never, I don't know that you would remember the name Peter Barry. It's a name I mentioned several years back here. Peter Barry was 22 years old when he was killed by a Chicago red line train. He was a tagger. A tagger is someone who sprays graffiti in hard to reach places, but easy to see because they want to spray it up there wherever they can see it. He was 22 years old when he was killed. He had a friend named Worm, and uh, he had that name because he was still illegally tagging. But when he was interviewed, he said this of Peter. He wasn't just any tagger. He was the greatest. He climbed to the highest spots. He had guts. His name was known. His name will still be known. Now, it turns out that Worm is a rock-solid theologian. There's something in what he said that is the core of the Bible's message. You see, Peter Berry... Just like you and I, he was born with this DNA, this genetic coding, if you will, uh, by which we all carry and long 
to live a life where our name matters. Long to live, we call it a life of significance. It's a life where your name outlives your physical life. It, it's in us. This is not uh, narcissism. This is not uh, ego gone astray. This is, it's the imago Dei, the image of God within every human being. God placed it there that we would live and desire to live a life of significance. Well, on Easter weekend, what I want to do in these moments we have together is to show us that indeed from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between, this has been God's intention for us. And that it's rooted in, grounded in, fulfilled in the very historical event that we are, we're celebrating today. You see, you understand we're here not to celebrate or think about a myth, a Greek God who's not real. We're talking about the God-man Jesus, a historical person who walked this planet some 2,000 years ago, who lived a perfect life, died the death that we earned that our sin deserved, and then rose from the grave. This is a historical, verified, testified to fact of reality. And this longing for a, a life and a name to be remembered is grounded in that historic fact that we celebrate today. Now, I'm going to go through some texts. We're going to look at three texts today. There's no real outline to this. Just, just listen. Let me have a converse, not a conversation per se, but a, let me speak with you and describe this story of the Bible if I can. Don't turn there, but we'll start in Genesis because Genesis is pretty familiar to most. And of course, the very beginning of the Bible, the story of Genesis is God spoke all things into creation. And then he, he put a man and a woman in a garden named Eden. And the man's name was Adam. So let's start with his name, Adam. It means red dirt, ground. And Adam was was made from the earth, and he was to cultivate the earth. He was to, to oversee everything that roamed the earth. He was a co-regent with God to oversee and rule with God over all that. So you see, his name, red dirt, it, it was his identity and his significance, and he fulfilled that to some degree. And then he had a wife named Eve, and Eve's name means life or living. The Bible says she was the mother of all the living, and don't we see that Eve, in fact, was the mother of all the living. She lived that name and that destiny. Together in the garden called Eden, okay, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve lived in relationship. First, they were in relationship with God. Well, we got that. They were in relationship with one another. Got that. They were doing the work of God. Stop right there. So wait a minute. I thought work was part of the curse. No, 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 no. Work's not the curse. Work is a gift. And you look at me going, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, it's not a gift to me. Well, of course not, because, you know, I will explain that in a moment. But work is, is good and whole, and they were doing it all within the place of God. Now, God had provided everything they needed for this, and he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's like God said, look, it's all yours except this one, and you will fulfill your, can I say this, your destiny, what you were made for, what I've wired you for. So it's hit me this week. I hadn't thought of this before, but it hit me that, wow, you know, 
Adam and Eve, they really did have to live by faith. Because I'm always thinking of faith as like, okay, the fall, everything. Now we've got to live by faith. No, no, no. In the garden, before the fall, before they sinned, before that, they had to take God at his word and trust him. Do you see that? Faith has always been a part of our relationship with God. Well, unfortunately, they did not trust him and they ate from that fruit. I've said many times it was a... It was an all-out rebellion when they ate of that fruit. For in eating of that fruit, they said, we don't trust you. We're going to trust ourselves. And everyone born of Adam and Eve carries that genetic identity as well. Well, their choice was what I'm going to say in light of our theme of the weekend. Get these name tags on, the name uh, it, it, was, it was this. If I could summarize it, they said this. We will make a name for ourselves. That, that's, in essence, what they said. And do you know, all of humanity from that time on lives life that way, including us. And you can trace every geopolitical, national, international rivalry, conflict, uh, disturbance, every personal ache, pain, heart issue. It's rooted, in, it's rooted in that. We'll make a name for ourselves. I don't want you to miss this because I want to keep this tension in, the, in, in our story. We were made to make a name for ourselves, in a sense. We really were for that, to the, make them live a life that matters. But to do it, you've got to do it God's way. See, and that was the issue in the garden. They didn't do it God's way, and none of us ever do. That's the problem. What's amazing about the story, though, we're only three chapters in. I mean, we've got a long way to go, per se, but three chapters in, God doesn't just go, well, that didn't work. Let me try it again. No, no, no. God in that moment makes a promise that he will send a man born of a woman who will crush the serpent and in so doing destroy the destroy the serpent but in so doing suffer a mortal wound himself now that's that's in genesis 3 it's this faint hint that we know is jesus but they didn't god was saying i, I i'm gonna send a man who will make all things right make it possible for people to be back in relationship with me in relationship with each other, doing the work of God in the place of God. Because when they rebelled, they lost all of that. All that's gone. Now, the Old Testament, I, I kind of try to get things simple in my own mind. The Old Testament, I mean, you, you read it and you can get bogged down. If you, to help you not get bogged down, think of the Old Testament as this. It's just the story of God keeping his promise. The story of God keeping his promise. And the first thing he does to keep his promise is he forms a nation. You know what the nation is called? You know what this is. Not a trick question. What's the nation God forms? What's the name of it? Say it out loud. It's Israel. Israel. God forms the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, God says, the man, the Messiah, the Savior, Messiah means the anointed one, the one promised in Genesis 3, is going to come through the nation of Israel. And so the nation of Israel, everything that God does in, through, for them is a preview of what Life will be like with God when Messiah comes. So when Messiah comes, you know, all the sacrifices and all that they did and how they related to God, this is kind of, it's all a preview of when Messiah comes, th this is how God will relate to his people. 
Now, the problem Israel had was they thought it was just for them, but no, no, no. See, God just used Israel to bring Messiah, and then God said, this is Messiah, Savior's for the whole world, for all of us. Now, with kind of that in your mind, um, I, I think this picture of God's previewing what he desires to, to, to be with us and to us is, is so clearly uh, epitomized in one of the familiar passages, but there's a part of this passage we miss in uh, Numbers chapter 6. It's the Aaronic blessing. It's the first text I want you to look at. So turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 6. We're looking at verses 22 to 27. So, so this is a pick. This is what God desires, and this is what's going to be true when Messiah comes. This is, this is the framework. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Aaronic, Aaron is what I'm saying, Aaronic blessing. It's the one, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. Raise your hands if you're somewhat familiar with it. Seriously, just stick with it. Yeah, a lot of us are. A lot of us may not be, but it's often used. I use it in weddings. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, people use it in different services or ceremonies, this blessing upon people. And if you're like me, maybe you've missed the key to the blessing, because I've not seen it until I'm studying it here over the last few weeks, and we're going to come upon that in a moment. Follow along in your Bibles as I read God's word to us today. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons. They were the priests, saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, bless the nation of Israel. You shall say to them, here comes the blessing, it's three stanzas, it's a poem, Three stanzas. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. This is probably the oldest poem in the Bible. It is brilliantly written and organized. Now, I wouldn't know this unless I'm studying it and reading because I don't, I don't read Hebrew, but... Uh, when you study it, and as I have, what we find is it's an amazing piece of literature. And just a little bit of this would go um, like this. In, in the original language, the three stanzas go like this. Three words, five words, seven words. The syllables go like this. Twelve syllables, fourteen syllables, sixteen syllables. Y'all, that's not an accident. That's not randomness. If you remove the Lord, the Lord, the Lord three times... That it's spoken. If you remove, if you remove that, what you end up with is twelve Hebrew words for each Hebrew tribe. That didn't just happen. I want you to think of the poem as a staircase, three steps, if you will, because it builds upon itself, such that it begins with something that's fabulous. And then it goes to, that's amazing. And then you get to the top, which it's all pointing to. And at the top step, you find one word that holds the entire blessing in one word. And that's what we're going to get to. Follow along, and, and I'll just summarize it quickly. Verse 24 begins, the Lord bless you and keep you. Bless is the Hebrew word barak. It, it, it means to kneel, actually. 
So to bless is to kneel. It also carries this idea of giving a gift. So, so to bless is to kneel in respect to give a gift. Okay? Now, if you think about it, there's something about this that's, I don't know what to do with in a sense. The Lord bless you. So the Lord kneels to you to give you a gift? What Does that sound backwards to you? It does to me. Such is grace. See, this is grace. This is God's heart for his people. That he would kneel to give. Now, grace is hard to receive, isn't it? See, it, it, it comes up against a proud heart and you just can't take it. No, no, you can't do that. You're... A proud heart will repel grace. That's the uncomfortableness we feel. But this is the blessing of God. To keep means to protect, um, to watch over. The Hebrew, the Hebrew language in mind, they didn't work in like just concepts that were, uh, you know, ethereal, you know, fuzzy, whatever. They, they got very concrete. So they would give these words that, that have something, some meat to them. And so this word keep also has the idea, it literally means, not idea, it literally means thorn. And so the picture is to keep is when the shepherd would take these thorn bushes, stick them all together, and he would make a, a round corral. And the sheep would go in that at night, and those thorn bushes would do what? Protect and keep them safe through the night. Verse 25, the Lord make his face shine on you. In the Bible, light is always about life. God's face towards you means he accepts you. God accepts you, his face towards you. And be gracious to you. Here's, here's the unmerited, unearned kindness of God. I, I didn't do anything to earn this. No, you can't. This is God out of the goodness of himself giving to you. Verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance on you. We're staying on the face. This is a person's countenance, this right here. Not the back of the head, not the side. It's the face. Lift up his countenance on you. Now, not only does God say, accept you, but it gets better in this. One scholar says it this way. God's lifted countenance is expressive of pleasure and affection. It is functionally equivalent to a smile. I, a few years ago, I began doing something in wedding ceremonies that I officiate that's tied to, to this blessing because I would read this blessing in a wedding ceremony. And I wanted a couple to understand at, at the beginning of the ceremony God's great favor toward them, those who know Christ, if they've trusted Christ. And so what I'll do, you know, in a wedding, it's like I'm standing here today. There's, I've never done a wedding with this many people, you know, but, you know, there's a couple hundred people here and I'm standing here, right? And the, and the groom's here and the bride's here and they're sort of facing me and each other. So what I'll do in a wedding is at the very beginning when I'm speaking to them, we're talk, I'm talking to them and they stand like this. You've been to weddings and then they, I have them kind of face me because I'm speaking to them and then speaking to the congregation. But they never really get to look at, at the people that are there for them. And so I say, I want you to turn around. And I have them turn around. And I say, I want you to look out on the people who are here for you today. And I want you to go down the aisles. And I want you to look them in the eyes. 
because the faces of people at a wedding toward the bride and the groom, it's all smiles. It's all pure joy. I'm telling you, I stand up here and look at it. It is, it's just palpable, this, this wave of, we love you, we adore you, we are so delighted to see you get married and be here. You know, no one, no one sits at a wedding and looks at the bride and groom and goes, no, no, every face is a smile, you see, and this is, this is the face of God toward his own, y'all. I mean, it's, it's a perpetual smile. Well, I said this, it's three steps to the top. And at the top, there's one word. And this one word holds the whole blessing together. And we get to that now. And he says, and give you, what's the word? Peace. Yes. Last night, I, I, I did that. I said, what's the word? And there was a little kid's voice that came out just like this. Peace! Like that loud. And I'm like, yeah! Yeah, that's right. You know, we're all peace, you know. Shalom is the Hebrew word. Many familiar with it. It goes so far beyond, you know, the ceasing of strife or ceasefire or no more conflict. No, no, no. That, you know, that could just be a truce. That could be a demilitarized zone. Um, but shalom. I want you to feel these words on your body and soul. Biblical peace carries the idea of completeness, wholeness, satisfaction, fulfillment, harmony, calm, safety, soundness, security, and well-being. Yeah, I want that. And biblical peace is not just an intellectual wholeness or just the body. It's the whole being wholeness to your mind, your heart, your will, your body, all you are submerged in wholeness and completeness and security and fulfillment. I like the way Cornelius Plantiga describes it. He says, quote, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Yes, that's what I want. You know, if we stop long enough, y'all, to think about what we long for in, in this world, um, I think you'd have to dig a little deep, but you would actually get here. 
this is Easter. I know it's a great day. I love seeing the ladies and the girls uh, dressed up, um, beautiful, and a few of the guys, not all of them, you know, are there. But um, it's, it's a great day. But this is a day like any other day. And can I tell you what's in the room right now? Pain, hurt, fear, disappointment, relational tension, financial stress, worry, heartache, family dis... That's what's in the room because that's who, who, who we are. It's how we live in a fallen body in a fallen world. And if, if, you, if you stopped and faced all that and you're feeling it and you went, what do I need? You know, the first thing that often comes to my mind is I need to win the lottery is what I need. And, I, you know, we go to those solutions. I, can I tell you, that's no solution at all. That's way low. What we long for is shalom. That's the only thing that will touch it all. Biblical peace. Well, most of us stop the blessing right there because technically the blessing, you know, it, it's, it's, they're done with what they say. But, man, I have missed this for so long. We, we, if we stop there, we miss the means by which the blessing is experienced. I put some new speakers in my office recently. I had to hook up all these wires. You may have, maybe have hooked up a TV and you spend 30 minutes hooking wire after wire after wire and you get it all hooked up. Then you sit there and go, it's awesome but you haven't turned it on. <laughs> Verse 27 turns it on. Verse 27 is how it's applied. It's how we receive and experience biblical peace. Notice it. So they shall invoke, they shall put my name on the sons of Israel, on Israel, and then I will bless them. Oh my, you see, receiving the blessing requires receiving the name. No name, no blessing. They're inseparable. What does it signify when it says God puts his name on something? You know what it signifies? It signifies what, what happens when you put your name on something. It's telling everyone around, that's mine. <laughs> you know, if you've got kids, it's like, take your, you know, that's, that's mine, that's mine. But it's ownership. It's presence. That's mine. That's with me. To call on the name of the Lord is to call on God himself. You know how the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord. It's not like call on this, these letters that represent God. The name is God. The name of God is all he is. All he represents, all he promises, all that he does. Well, if biblical peace requires God's name, here's the dilemma, right? We know this is coming. The dilemma is God is a holy God, unblemished, sinless, perfect. We are a rebellious people, fallen, broken. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all lied, still, taken something that wasn't ours, had a bad thought, had an evil thought, done something. We were all there. So how does a holy God put his holy name on a rebellious people? That's the problem. And here comes... Easter, the good news. Let's go to the second text I want you to look at, Philippians. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. You go past the Gospels, you go past Corinthians, you go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Lindsay read it. I'm simply going to read it again. It's speaking of, remember, God promised a man would come, Messiah. 
Here's the man, his name is Jesus. And we read in verse 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me summarize this in a few statements. The first would be this. We can clearly see Jesus did not live his life to make a name for himself. He emptied himself. So, so Well, he didn't live his life to make a name for himself which tells us something really important about this. If you want to live your life in a way that matters, that your name is remembered, which is good, then you live for God's name and not your own, and that's how your name is remembered. Whoa, is that crazy? That doesn't make sense. If I want to make my name remembered, i got to be all about me. Exactly the opposite, according to the Bible. According to the very life of Jesus Christ. Paul says, for this reason, God highly exalted him. There's a double meaning in this exalted. It means, for this reason, God lifted him up. It just spoke of his death on the cross and says, God exalted, lifted him up. Men and women, there's the resurrection. God raised him from the grave. Why did God raise him from the grave? Because God is a just God. And it would not be just for a sinless man to remain dead. Because the wages of sin is death. He had no sin. Therefore, the grave couldn't hold him. That's what we sing. Grave can't hold a sinless man. Well, why did he remain in the grave? Because God poured his wrath upon the Son, the wrath against sin and rebellion that all of us deserve. Jesus took it upon himself. And when the wrath of God was satisfied, Jesus rose from the grave and says to all living today, he's alive, and says, if you will believe that what I did, I did for you, then your sins have been paid for because I paid them. The punishment has been poured upon me and I forgive you of those sins and I'll clothe you with my righteousness and therefore uh, God, God's holy name on an unholy people because Christ is our Salvation. Does that make sense? He paid the price for us. We're trusting in what he did, not what we do. There's only one name in heaven and on earth that is worthy to be in the presence of God. And it's not Lloyd. And it's not yours. It's the name of Christ. Confess means to agree with. So, Everyone will one day confess. Everyone will one day confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus it means Jesus is God, which means Jesus did what he said he did, did what the Bible says he did. It's trustworthy, it's true. Everyone will will say that one day. And you go, "Well, I thought 
there'll be people who don't say it, and they'll, they, that's why they go to hell, whatever. But you got to think of it this way. Everyone will say it. The question is, will you say it while you're physically alive or after you're physically dead, but your spirit's alive? And I go back to what I talked about a few weeks ago. You know, death is a separation of the body from the spirit. Spirit lives forever. Everyone in this room lives forever. Don't miss this, according to the Bible. Your soul lives forever. So the question is, will you, while you're alive, according to the Bible, will you say, will you confess, will you agree, you know what, Jesus, you are God. And you lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And, and you died on a cross. And the only reason you could die is if you had sin on you. And so you took my sin on you. And you, you paid the penalty for my sin. You were buried. And three days later, you rose again. I believe you did that for me. That's to confess Jesus is God. Now, you can either do that now while you're alive or one day, everyone in the room is going to die physically. When you die physically, your spirit separated from your body. Your body you know, deteriorates, but your soul, your essence, who you are, that lives forever. And it will be a consciousness. And in that state, you will say, Jesus, you are who you said you were. You are God. And then you will spend eternity knowing that separated from God. This is terrible. And this is what the Bible describes as, as hell, separated from God forever. But it's very clear, everyone will agree. Jesus, you are God. One day. Well, how do we get the name of Jesus? We make it complicated. It's not. I've mentioned it a few times. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God that is, to those who believed in his name. So there, there it is. If you receive Christ, you become a child of God. How did you get this name? How did I get this name? Did I earn it? <laughs> no, you know, I, don't, I was born, you know, and I was given the name. It's the same in the family of God. You don't earn it. You have to be born again. Remember that Bible word, be born again? That's what happens the moment you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That, in that moment, you're, you're, the Bible says, born again. And you have the name of Jesus, you see, upon you. That's the good news of the gospel. You say, well, man, I thought you have to go to church to be saved. Well, you know, you might go to church and never be saved because you think it saves you and it doesn't. That'd be horrendous. A lot of people do that. And you might say, well, surely I need to clean up my life before I can trust Jesus. And that's, no, you, the problem is you can't clean up your life. When you say, well, I need to stop sinning. I need to stop doing this horrendous thing. And the problem is you can't stop doing it. And if you could, you wouldn't need a savior. But you can't, and therefore you need a savior. We're going to sing in a moment. And when we do, can I say this to you? There's maybe, there's maybe 750 people in this room. I don't know many of you. I don't. So don't think I'm picking on anyone when I say this. But... I think this is quite true. Everyone looking at me right now is not saved. That's okay. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Um, but you're here for a reason. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily invite you, but you wouldn't be here unless God was doing something. And so I remember when I trusted Christ, I was 18 years old. I, I remember reading this little booklet that described exactly what I'm saying. And I'd read it before many times, but in that moment, it's like, I believed it. I don't know what to tell you. It's like it, it made sense. And I went, wow, I, 
And I said to God, God, I believe this is true for me. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I was born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about what you do and don't do in church and all that. It's not that. It's a relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus. It's about what he did, not what you do. So I'm just saying, why not trust him today? I mean, you, don't, you may not have all the answers where it goes, where it leads, how he's going to work it. But if, if you have any inkling today, can I say this, that what I'm saying is making sense to you, it wouldn't make sense unless God was working in your life. Because this stuff is, blo- it, it's, you can't see it unless God works in your heart and helps you see it. So if you're seeing it today in some way, would you, would you while we sing, would you say, God, I didn't expect this, but I believe this is true, that you lived a life I couldn't. That Jesus, you died the death I deserved. You were buried and rose again. I believe you did it for me. That's it. I believe it. You trust it. Would you turn your face to God and trust him? That is in part, I believe, why you're here today. This is not just about, let's get the Easter service in. It's going to be neat and we'll go eat afterwards and we'll come again next year. I don't believe that. If God is opening your eyes, don't close them. Trust him and believe. Okay, last passage, Revelation 22. Flip over in your Bibles, all the way to the back of the Bible. In fact, we began in the first chapter of the Bible. We're going to end in the last chapter of the Bible. It's the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Now, the Bible begins in a garden. The Bible ends... In a garden. God, what a crazy coincidence. That's nuts how that works. No, 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 right? This is, this is one story that God has put together for us. And I want to say a word about this peace. While the peace of God is real, and it is, and it's real now, we've got to remember there's something coming that's more. And this makes sense when you think about what Jesus says and the apostles. Y'all, don't think that if you trust Christ, you have the peace of God and life, you're not going to have any more financial worries. You're not going to have any illness. No bad things are going to happen. That's, you know, we don't use the word stupid in my house, so I'm not going to use the word stupid, but I'll say that's dumb. Because, And I only say that, just think logically. Is life going to be perfect from here on out for anyone? No. And the Bible's a realistic book, and it says, Jesus said, you'll have trial and tribulation. You have difficulty and hardship. That's all a part of life. You'll suffer. It's part of walking with Christ. But in that suffering, you can have peace. You can have the, the peace I just talked about, completeness, wholeness, securities. You can have it in the midst of a difficult and hard, the hardships of life because you're in Christ Jesus. And y'all, I'm not talking about, you know, just doing a head game with you. It's the peace of God in your heart. And so you go through life with this, with, with peace, even in the midst of circumstances that are always changing. And part of that peace is not just what you know of Christ now, it's what you know awaits you. See that, it's like you're living life now, but there's something out there in front of me that's in my future that's so certain, I mean it's so sure for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Bible often speaks of it in the past tense, like it's already happened, it's that sure. We sang this earlier, because he lives I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the what? He holds the future. And if God's holding it, trust me, it's there. Nothing's gonna, it's not going to get out of his hand. He holds the future. 
life is worth the living just because I know he lives. Now, this future, the, the Apostle John, he says, let me show you what's coming to give you peace and hope now. And so he, 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 he peels the blinds back on the heavens. And this is what we see in Revelation 22, verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life. There it is again. It was in the garden here. It's in the garden to come. But it's more bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. What does that mean tangibly? Look at chapter 21, verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It continues in verse 3, chapter 22. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. What? We're going to work in heaven? Yes! It's going to be amazing. It's going to be work as God intended. It's going to be so so fulfilling. It's going to be life. It's going to be creative. It's going to go on forever. Do you understand this? It's not just sitting up there. No. No, we'll work. We'll serve the King of Kings. This is what awaits us. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and they will there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. It's it's the garden as it was meant to be for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Cynthia, Anthony, Rosewood, cut down the careless, Sarah, Artie, Missy, Julie. What a name, <laughs> right? I mean, wow. Well, we could add 10 names to that name and it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be the name by which we are saved. How about this amazing name? Lloyd, right? Uh, it's, it's not enough. But there is one, Jesus. 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 Every longing, every dream, every hope secured by his name and his name alone. It's a name that has no rival. It has no equal. Powerful, wonderful, beautiful. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. He lives. He is risen. He's risen indeed. I'll try it one more time because it's a little more than that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He lives. And his name, men and women, is the only name by which our future is secured and our peace right now is real.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. This is ours for all who name the name of Christ. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. God bless.